welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with Well Life Tribe. We're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab-and-go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores. and welcome to the Well Life Tribe podcast, One Size Does Not Fit All, with me, Liberty, and today I'm joined by... Kat, how are you? Hi, Kat! I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yes, not too bad. Just getting back into the homeschooling, actually, <laughs> which oh. has been challenging. Yeah, so we're uh, in week five. Are we in week five? God, are we? That's quite scary, yeah. isn't it? So this is only our second week of homeschooling. We've had a few weeks off for Easter. So yeah, back to it. I think logging in and getting them all sorted out is the hardest part, actually. But I, uh, I think as, as well, everybody's on Zoom now, aren't they? School by Zoom. Yeah, um, but at least it's stopping them from eating everything, which... Um, <laughs> and, and picking on each other 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you done that's different in the last couple of weeks then? Well, speaking of picking on each other, we decided to start, this is actually after our last podcast when we were speaking to Katie Woodland, we've started doing gratitude journals before bed. Oh, that was exciting. I know, everybody rolled their eyes, but they're all really into it now. Um, just because they were being really ungrateful and a little bit um, spoiled and not really cherishing each other in the way they should. And it's understandable, they're fed up with each other. It's, uh, everyone's a little bit fed up with each other, adults and kids. So <laughs> um, we've decided, you know, just the littlest things, um, dinner was tasty or I had dinner or whatever they want to put in there. Um, I'm doing one too. I haven't actually managed to convince James to do it, but it's really making a difference. And um, Wilf, who's 11 and grumpy at the best of times, took it on straight away and it's been really sweet. So that's what we've started to do. Um, how about you? I've started to get more structure into my day, actually. Um, and I'm really trying to bring exercise back into the fold, which I have been doing all the way along, but now I'm doing it before we start everything and mostly because I think I just like to feel like I've got my time I've done my thing and I feel quite energized um yeah. I was I think I've noticed on the days that I don't do anything when I don't move I am quite tired and then it's a really long day to be tired yeah. so I think when I break down the day into pockets I'm then quite energized and I can not scream and shout and I'm all a bit happier for a little bit longer on my Duracell battery <laughs> you're an riser, you get up really early I do I do I am a 5 30 person it is Woo. something I can't help but actually I, li I, I like to I get up I meditate I have a little stretch I have a tea then I go work out and then that's kind of I have to have those hours actually because then I know I, I am a person who <laughs> likes me time. And to be fair, before this isolation period kicked in, I think I'd already been doing it for a while. So I was like, what's the difference? Why are you all complaining? <laughs> so I think, um, yeah, I don't mind. I don't, it doesn't really, you know, hasn't bothered me too much. But no. I do still like to get, the, the difference was before is that I did have the whole house to myself <laughs> for yeah. a period of time. Why everybody here now? They're like, why are you still here? You know, yeah. I'm just like, time to leave. <laughs> 
yeah I, I feel like I'm, I tidy something up and I turn around and it's complete pigsty again but apart from that it's quite sweet really I do totally I get it that it's not ideal but I, I'm managing it fairly well I do quite like being at home it's just uh there's always someone a dog or a kid right next to me <laughs> but what can you do <laughs> so today anyway, we've got a special guest haven't we we have we're really excited today because we have got dr maryanne baker with us today who is a psychologist and parent coach maryanne hello 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 thank you for having me thank oh, you oh you're so lovely oh i've been very excited <laughs> <laughs> we're really excited that you've joined us today and um, obviously Kat and I know a little bit about you, but we would like you just to tell our listeners what you do. So I, I think in a nutshell, I was to describe myself as I sort of help children when it comes to emotions. And then I also help parents to help their children. So I typically work with children who feel anxious or worry and lack confidence or to struggle to manage big emotions. So when they get angry, they respond in a way that isn't always healthy. Right. And um, how did you come to um, doing this kind of work? Ooh, well, I always oh, a very long, I went around the houses quite a bit. So <laughs> I left school at 18, um, having failed my A-levels quite spectacularly. And I went to a grammar <laughs> school. So that was absolutely not what you did when you went to a grammar school. Um, so I literally came out and I was 51 last week. And so those oh, were- Oh, happy birthday. birthday. Thank you yeah. very much. Um, but those were the days that you kind of got what they called an N, which meant you nearly passed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember those. Yeah, I got so one I of those. Got, I got a U, an N, and an F, which I think spells fun, which was pretty much what I had in my sixth form. Yay! <laughs> so I kind of, I, 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 so I left school at 18, got a job, worked in industry for about 10 years, and then, but was really interested in the whole kind of psychology behind work and motivation and how to get teams working and then just decided in my late 20s that I wanted to go to university and went as a mature student and then had my son in the last year of my degree and then my daughter in the second year of my PhD so <gasps> it kind of evolved so I went from work psychology mindset to oh I've got these children now and I'm really quite interested in why they do the things that they do so hence why I ended up sort of down that route really Wow. So it's amazing when you find something you want to do. It's like nothing gets in your way. Even with babies, you yeah. were doing a PhD. And so it, it was a choice driven by passion then, something that, that was sort of your calling. I genuinely feel that I'm doing something that is my life's work. I think if I had done the degree when I was younger, I would have procrastinated. I wouldn't have done it. But there is nothing more focusing and laser sharp focus than, right, I've put my, my name, I put Charles down for a nap. I know he's going to be asleep for an hour and a half. I've got an essay to do, right, I've got to do it in an hour and a half. Whereas I think otherwise you get this sort of procrastinating of, oh, I'll start it tomorrow. Or Yeah. So I think yeah. in some ways, whilst it sounds harder, I think having the children made it, easier because I really had to you know section off my day in some way like Kat was saying earlier on you've got these kind of pockets that you have and that's when you've got to do these things these tasks because that's when the children are asleep yeah I think yeah. it's inspiring to hear um you're not the first it's not the first time I've heard this from someone who's doing something that they really love but have come to that realization that that's what they want to do later in life and I think that's really consoling because you go through so much of your life when people are saying, 
what do you want to do? What do you want to do? People have given up on me at this point. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm 44 and I still don't really know. But I think there's so much pressure on kids, isn't there? Yeah. Where you're always asked as a kid, what do you want to do? And people still ask my kids, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And sometimes they look at me and I can see that they're thinking, I don't know. I don't know. It's great to think that you can, you can decide any time as long as you have real passion behind that decision. Any time is a good time. So how old are your kids now? So my eldest is 20. So he took a gap year and he's in his first year at university. And then my youngest is 16. So she's first year of A-levels. Wow. And I'm assuming they're, they're, um, they're really well balanced and um, uh, brought them up perfectly. Absolutely not. <laughs> the children of a psychologist are bound up all sorts of issues. <laughs> No, they're just, no, absolutely not. I think, you know, I often, clients will often sort of say to, you know, make this assumption that I am so calm and I never shout at my children and I just like tread on water. It's like, oh my gosh, I shout at my children just as much. I get just as exasperated. I do all the things I tell you not to do. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that does make me feel a lot better, actually. Yeah, (laughs) me too. I think sometimes when we talk to people like you, it's like, I don't want to tell them too much. <laughs> yeah. They think I'm, a, you know, doing all the wrong things. But that's not true. I mean, that's part of probably why you learned about it as well, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it's, I remember always at the school gate, the parents would always be like, please don't judge me, Mary Hand, with the way I'm parenting my child. It's like, I'm too busy worrying about you judging me to be worried about what you're doing. <laughs> that's so true we go camping every year and two of the um, families that we go with are the the mums are both child psychologists and um, we spend the first couple of days just sort of being very polite to our children and not drinking very much and oh oh, and then by the end of it everyone's swearing and doing whatever and drunk and but yeah I never thought of it in reverse that they might be thinking gosh we really have to behave and set the example here as the uh, as the experts but yeah it goes both ways <laughs> i'm looking into um childhood anxiety what you deal with at the moment obviously in the current situation of lockdown um i've been speaking to a few other parents and it seems that at the beginning a few you know children who are already anxious have had to find new ways to deal with this have you found this by speaking to people yeah yeah because i think some children would by being confined and for some children the confinement has actually reduced their anxiety so certainly children who've got anxieties around going to school and all of those sorts of things there's definitely been a significant reduction but for a lot of children it's about managing those anxieties because they don't necessarily have the breadth of support from their friends, the being able to go out and do their sports, those things that have been sort of cut off. And so they're having to explore new ways of trying to, of, of managing that, definitely. Yeah, um, I was um, speaking to um, a friend of mine and she was saying that she was trying not to show them too much news as well because that was kind of sinking into a lot of their brains. I mean, I think, you know, as adults as well, we're also trying not to watch too much all the time because I think you know I think once we realize it sort of sort of wears us down it's got to how much of it do they take in I mean that's the the question as well isn't it yeah well I think I mean I often talk about this idea that we're the emotional barometer 
And it's not about adding guilt to us, but we are the emotional barometer. So if we don't take care of ourselves, Mm. um, then we can't necessarily take care of our children in the same way. So if we're feeling anxious, but the words we're trying to come out with don't fit that. So we're displaying our own anxieties in such a way, but we're trying to be calming and soothing and it's incongruent. That's where the, the challenge becomes. It's just being more mindful about the conversations that we have out loud with the other yeah. adults in the house and then what our children inadvertently hear through our consumption of media. And it's not to say that, that children shouldn't be exposed to things. It's just knowing what is developmentally appropriate. And I say that because the, I don't think we ought to be thinking that because my child is X age, they're able to cope with that information. It's much more about your child's developmental age. We've got, you know, some children are naturally much more empathic. And so they, regardless of their age, may struggle with some of the concepts much more than a child who's less empathic, who might be younger. So it's about what's appropriate for, for that particular child, um, which is why, you know, Kat, when you were talking earlier on about having your time in the morning, it's key. Whatever we need to do to recharge us, we have to prioritise, because if we do that, then we're so much better able to then come into the day and help our children than if we're always, the day's kind of like, come at us yeah and getting themselves into that state of anxiety would they learn from us if we're showing anxiety to them they can't i mean it's this idea that children are more likely to do what they see than what we say um, right. part of it is that there's sort of two bits to it there's a if you're anxious as an adult your child is four times more likely to have anxiety and part of that is that they've got a sort of they're born with that genetic predisposition but the other part is what we how we manage situations and what our coping mechanisms are and how we model that to them. Right. Um, but it sounds it, like it a mirroring, mirroring effect kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So, and it's really, the anxiety comes from a gap, the gap between what the child perceives a situation needs from them and what they perceive the resources they have within them to deal with it. And the bigger the gap, the more the anxiety. Yeah. Gosh, that's, um, that's quite um, interesting, actually, because I think quite a lot of parents and, you know, like, not that I have like massive anxiety, but I've had it. Um, and I do like I've got one child who seems to float along really nicely. And, but then I've got another child who seems to pick up on every single energy that I put out into the universe, you know, like, and that's the one that I kind of have to watch myself with. Yeah. And I think sometimes because you know, no two children are the same, are they? And with him, I have to be careful of the way I act sometimes or what comes out of my mouth because it's him who gets really sensitive to it. Mm. Um, and I always kind of feel like, for instance, that he's probably my more one I would not, you know, put a label under, but that's, he's definitely the more sensitive one. Yeah. Um, so I guess in that situation, does that mean that he you know i guess i'm just trying to figure out why is he more like that and she isn't no well it, there's just it's part of their kind of personalities and how they they are i mean we know that some children are seem to be more emotionally intelligent innately and have that em empathy but emotional intelligence is something we can absolutely teach our children and it's just as they develop and they learn to manage various different situations and it is all to do with that, that their kind of perception about it so 
you know, in some ways, our children do mirror our own behaviour. But we, what we shouldn't be afraid to do is we shouldn't be afraid to express emotions because they need to equally see that. The paradox is that if we present perfection, mm. and actually what you then do is when you've got a child who's worrying about something, who's maybe ruminating about something and is worried, mm. um, and they only ever see us not crying, always together, then in some ways that, that just exacerbates the, their difference. So they yeah. do, you know, I do think children need to see us raw. They need to see that they've pushed our buttons and we've shouted at them. And they need to see that we worry about things as long as we're doing it in a way that when we've shouted, we have an apology afterwards and we talk it through, that when we're anxious, we're then talking to them about how we're managing it. Then I think that those are actually much more representative of, of how life should be. So it may well be that the, your, the son that you're thinking of may actually end up becoming much more equipped because of the way that he is and how much he takes that information on board and then learns yeah. as you discuss things with him. Yeah, I would say, because he, he, out of the two, he's the one I would say in my situation asks a lot of questions. Um, yeah. So that probably does sort of make sense along that line. I'm kind of thinking of other people, if you are with your children now and I don't know, you might be a single parent in a flat or something where you know you've got to sort of entertain them or be on the lookout that can be quite exhausting for people can't it um and i think some people think they have to be on top of it all the time but they don't do they you can't be can you and it's this whole homeschooler thing i mean i mean i know that it's affecting different schools are doing it differently so there are some children whose schools are like on it it's almost like they're having almost an online assembly and then lessons and it's super structured others are being set work and the children are having to work independently and i think my view is that we've got to it's managing our expectations so that we can then manage our children's if they are having to sort of self work then actually a school day, whilst it's quite a long day, when you actually condense the learning, it's probably about three hours worth of work. So part of the expectation is if they're doing it themselves and they don't have to sit in a virtual classroom with a teacher, then let's not be expecting them to be starting at half past eight and not finishing to half past three, four o'clock. Let's reassess our expectation and then make it, you know, that they're doing that in the morning. But it's also about having a discussion. I think sometimes we do our children a disservice when we don't include them in the problem solving process so this is the issue you've got to do some work i've got to do some work you need to do x i need to do y let's look at how our day is going to work out so in this period of time i've got a meeting or i've got something that i've got to do that i have to be absolutely undisturbed but i can help you here and then actually working out what timetable do you want to have you don't have to stick to one prescribed by anyone else unless they've got to be online virtually and i guess a lot of people are used to being quite structured though because that's the way the institution rolls isn't it so we all a lot of parents will be worrying about come on everybody we must get up we must do this and you know and i think i've been watching today like the parents whatsapp going bonkers you know like who can get in i can't get in <laughs> just like oh god <laughs> i'm not even going to try and help because I always get like, uh, but I just think it's like, let's try not to worry about it. You know, like it's day one for, it was definitely day one for one of my children today. Um, and it was all just about people logging on. It's just the new concept of it anyway. So I think, again, though, it's parents showing their anxiety, isn't it? As to, we can't handle this situation. <laughs> 
question, you know, like, let's all just go crazy. But I think, um, actually, like you say, um, one thing I noticed is that one of my children had finished her work with about two and a half hours earlier than she was probably meant to. And I was like, are you sure, are you sure you've done everything? You know, like, and she was like, yeah. And I, I looked at it, I was like, fine. But that's like you say, you should pretty much get it done within, you can if you want to and it works for you. But that's like, you know, like I often think it's like when people who wake up early can cope with the day, but some people work better if they, they sleep in and they, they're better workers at night, you know, so it's different for everybody. And this is what you'll see indoors, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And if you're able to be kind of a bit flexible around it and working with each child, then yeah. that, that certainly reduces our stress levels as well, which, which then has the knock on effect. Yeah, so we are the common denominator in all of this so like Kat was saying earlier and you were saying about the importance really is more than anything is managing ourselves so that we're spreading that that good vibe amongst the space that we're living in um, so that our kids are responding the way they should so everybody has different ways of relaxing I guess I've only just started fairly recently to um, meditate just because I've noticed that I am a really shallow breather. <laughs> that sort of <laughs> panicky um, breathing that I start to do when I just get really stressed. And then I do sort of shout. And then I always think, oh, why did I shout? What do you use? I do always think it's, it's like ask the expert. But what's your favorite way of relaxing yourself if, before you go about looking after everybody else? I, I have most of it. I'm like cats, so I wake up early in the morning and I have my own little routine. I am really, I've, I've learned as I've got older that I'm not a pleasant person to be around if I don't have that time in the morning. Right. Um, so I do, I go through a certain rituals. So I write a diary, I read, I meditate, and then I take my dogs for a walk. So I exercise and then do my affirmations while I'm doing, while I'm walking them. And genuinely for me, and I have to have a good, it's slightly self-indulgent really but it, I, two hours I need that complete and I'm and I'm certainly convinced and if I can't get all of that then I need to get outside I'm definitely not good if I haven't been outside it's just that headspace and just being able to kind of be in silence and what's been interesting for me that I've learned since the lockdown is I like quiet yeah which don't is come really, to my house I don't put music on. I won't if I, I don't. I, I quite like being in my own head. Mm. Yeah, I quite like that too, actually. I do like a bit of quiet. Um, but I've got people in my house who like noise. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like meeting in the middle of where do we, you know, does everybody just want to be quiet for five minutes? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also understanding everybody. And I think actually what I'll say about being in lockdown is that I... I'm being obviously more present than ever with my children and I don't think I was you know like that's something that I've that's a lesson that I'm learning um yeah. you know from a side of a parent I'm listening to them where I'm understanding their you're talking about learning emotions and everything you know like and I'm conscious actually more than ever of trying to be the person who puts in positive emotions as well you know like so much so actually I downloaded this app <laughs> So I was like, oh, what's that? So it's an app to sort of remind you of things that you can do with your children, which is all a bit more about gratitude and stuff. Because I think sometimes when I come down to them and I say, what are you grateful for today? They're kind of looking at me like, 
what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> but we did this quiz the other day, funny enough, which was about, we all wrote, how much do you know about each other? So I wrote all the questions down. And truly, actually, the interesting thing was that we didn't know some of the things about each other, you know, like down to some of our favorite things. And it was a really interesting quiz because the two children knew more about each other than probably I knew some of the things on the list. And actually, I was a bit like, oh, God, should I have known more? But I don't think I could have known more, actually, because some of it was slightly airy-fairy about certain characters and programs and stuff. But what I did get from it, which I was really grateful for, is the fact that they knew each other quite well. Yeah, Aww. that's such a lovely, I love that idea. Yeah, yeah, it was just simple questions, almost to the way, what's your favourite colour, what's your favourite movie, who's your favourite character in that, what part of it, you know, and it was funny because certain things they sort of reeled off uh, about each other, um, which was, and they were like, do you know what that is for me? And I was like, mm, <laughs> you know, but actually I knew the important bits, I might not have known exactly who their favourite you know, victorious character was or something like that. But those are the things I'm not going to know. But it was, um, I've been trying to, this app is really interesting. And I think because I was conscious of my son's anxieties, um, he asked an awful lot of question about the news. Um, and he does, because every time you put the TV on, it's on. And any channel is like, every update is there all the time. And so I don't put the TV on now because I don't, I don't want to know because you're going to get the same news, whatever, aren't you? I think I was quite conscious of, you, they need to know, but they don't need to know everything. Yeah, and it is, it's sticking to the facts. What do they, what do we actually know? And giving that information, but also acknowledging how it makes them feel. Yeah. So it's, I can see that this is really worrying you, and it's really scary. We don't really know what's going to happen. But what we do know is, if you were to get it because you're a child, it's that kind of, conversation about it and going back to your experience in childhood this is partly what led to it isn't it you want to tell us a bit about that yeah so we moved to England um so my mum my dad my brother my sister and I when I so I was six my brother was 13 and my sister was four and then my dad died suddenly um when I was 11 and in my first term of secondary school and my mum handled it really badly in it from a psychological as a professional I can stand back and actually from a lot of ways she just didn't handle it she didn't want to talk to us about it we didn't go to the funeral so you know I my sister and I talk about it quite a lot she did you know my sister didn't get closure until her mid-30s until she actually flew out to see my dad's grave so from that perspective I think whilst I didn't realize it at the time I'm absolutely convinced that that's informed why I've ended up doing what I'm doing because it's about just acknowledging how our children are feeling and equipping them with what they need because I think probably at the time she was a bit of a mess you know she'd only been in this new country she had three young children that she had to kind of raise on her own she wasn't working you know she wasn't working her English wouldn't have been fabulous it was okay but not great no immediate support other than her our neighbours which who were brilliant but you know the emotions and I had a lot I mean I'm clear I think I was born a psychologist I had a lot that I wanted to talk about (laughs) and I still can remember so um so it was 11 and I remember writing my anthology for my English and one of the poems that came out I think I've just poured my heart out of you know about thinking that I'd 
that my parents had actually got divorced and that they hadn't really told, they didn't want to tell us. And so they'd made up the story. So, you know, it's often the, the conversations and the stories that children create in their mind when we don't allow them to open up and say, it's okay to be worried. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to want to talk about whatever um, it is. And I think, yeah, that's, which is why I genuinely feel that this is my life's purpose. And do you work with families who've gone through grief a lot? Yeah, yeah, I work with families who've gone, yeah, who've gone through and grief. And how do you explain it? You know, obviously you've just explained to us, but in terms of they feel really protective over their child. And I, you know, like, and, and often people are like that when people get quite severe illnesses and things like that, they don't want to tell them about it. But, but is it the fact that children will just take in what they need to take? Yeah. from the situation they're not you could sit down and tell a child a lot of everything couldn't you but it doesn't really mean that they're not everything's going through is that right yeah yeah and they'll take what they need at that given time and it's so important that we kind of keep keep them in that loop and it's about it's taking away what we think we need to manage it and what they actually need because we often feel that we're going to burden them that you know often even parents the idea that Start using a language that their child might be worried about something there's this idea if I say that they're worried maybe I'm going to create a worry that wasn't there in the first place but actually what you do from a child's perspective it's like oh I feel heard they get me they understand where I'm coming from I'm not different I'm not unusual this is normal and that's yeah. what we want to really be doing is that we want to normalize we all worry about stuff as adults we worry as children worry and it's okay it's about talking and communicating. How did your, I just can't imagine being your mom. I did, that fascinates me that the language, um, you know, working and everything. How long was it before she managed to sort of create some semblance of some stability where, I, I don't know, did you feel safe? Did you feel um, like you were parenting her or? Yeah, I definitely felt that we were, I was parenting her. I mean, I've definitely, I'm a middle child as well, so it's difficult to untangle how much of it is middle child syndrome. <laughs> um, uh, but I, def, I have very, very vivid memories. And in fact, it's, you know, it's something that I'm even teased about now, that I'm like the second mum. So I, I have very conscious wow. memories of being a second mum. And my brother had gone off to university when dad died. So he wasn't really around. In right. the, he came home obviously for a bit and then went back so I definitely yeah I, I'm very conscious of that and taking I mean we used to we used, my sister and I when we were older we used to alternate all because of me and um, I said we can't possibly leave mum on her own at the weekend so you go out Saturday night I'll go out oh. Friday night this week and then next week we'll swap but that's what children do you can't mm. they, they create that security and that certainty where there's not that conversation to do that but she, you know, I certainly don't, you know, we felt phenomenally loved. I had the most wonderful childhood. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and she then ended up sort of getting a job and working in London and coming home at weekends. So it, it was fine. But there was a period of years where I felt, for whatever reasons, I felt I needed to mother her. She probably didn't think she needed it, but I did. Oh, when did she open amazing. up about it to you? Um, to be honest with you, I don't think she really has. Um, when I, um, I have moments every now and again where I sort of will reminisce about dad and say, oh, mum, would you remember when dad used to do this? And her default is still, well, Maryanne, why do you have to keep bringing up dad? What, he's dead. Why do we need to keep talking about it? Yeah. But so I don't know, part of it is the way that she deals with things is yeah. that she has to 
block it out um and possibly some of it is cultural i don't know mm. but certainly my sister and i aren't like that we talk about it all the time mm. but my brother is, doesn't talk about it particularly and you're all still really close yeah 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 really close such an amazing story of kind of it, I, I can't compare it in any way, but I remember going to Germany when I did my uh, degree and I really didn't want to go. And I remember going home. It was in the third year of my degree. I remember going home and saying to my parents, um, I'm not going to Germany. Uh, I've changed my mind. And they were like, oh, that's fine. Don't go. But you have to pay us back all the money that we've paid for the first two years of your degree. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Germany. It's going to be fine. But I, I got there and I got off the plane and I had been really lazy and my German really wasn't as good as it should have been. And I had to find a place to live and halls of residence that had a space for me and I had to register at the university. And everything is very sort of, you know, heavily regulated and like you have to go to this building for this and you have to go get a stamp from this building. And um, the thought of having three children, you know, absolutely no language. It just, it's an amazing. And the fact that you guys looked at, it's just, I just think it's an amazing story of overcoming really. And, um, and, and, well, and all credit to mum. I mean, mum did phenomenally. She ended up being a little social butterfly and having a ball when she then started work. She really came into, came into herself. That's amazing. How yeah. beautiful. You know, I feel very fortunate and I do feel, I mean, you often read about it. My sister and I certainly feel that that adversity has probably, you know, we're both quite driven and, and resourceful yeah. because of, and actually I'm really, that I'm massively grateful for. I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't necessarily want to relive it, but I'm very yeah. grateful that because of that, I am yeah. very resourceful. And going back to what you were saying about this idea about gratitude, I'm so grateful so often because I understand that it's that, it is the little things, it's those tiny little moments that matter. Welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with Well Life Tribe. We're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab-and-go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores. When you were at school and you said, um, you know, like you obviously didn't do as well as you wanted to do. Is that because you didn't know what you wanted to do or you'd Completely lost interest or was that to do with, what would you say? I think it was probably a combination. I, I remember quite vividly when I applied to university thinking, so my father was a doctor, uh, an anaesthetist. And obviously, you know, came from that sort of Egyptian um, sort of education is absolutely key. It's really, really important. So I, so I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought, well, maybe I should become a doctor because my dad was a doctor. But I, I had no, I would have made an awful doctor. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't know. And back then, and because I went to a grammar school, we had a headmistress that wouldn't even entertain A-level subjects like economics because they weren't proper subjects. So you were kind of left. So I ended up doing like biology, chemistry and maths for no reason other than they seemed to be the sort of options that we were recommended to do. And there was no kind of idea about what options have you got? What could you do beyond the traditional, you study medicine or you do law or you do this? So no, I had no idea. And I think I probably wasn't. I think I'm somebody who's probably driven towards something. I'm not a sort of a stick kind of person. I'm much more towards rather than that push. Um, and I think that I didn't really see where I was going. So I didn't really work. 
Do you think um, a lot of childhood anxiety comes out of today's parents pushing them a lot to do too much? Absolutely. I think and do you see a lot of people because of that? Yeah. I think it's that, it's this idea. I think what we, try, what we don't always separate is our angst in terms of that, our angst of, you know, if, if you don't do all these activities and you're not, and you don't do really well at school, you won't get into the next school and then you won't do really well. So it's about, we're anxious for them in this fear that they, that are, we're going to disadvantage our children in some ways. Mm. And actually, I don't, I don't really think, you know, I'm a real believer that actually, um, if we get if our children are confident and they are happy and we foster curiosity then everything else takes care of itself i think when we when we focus on the academics too young um and particularly around homework you know i don't think children should be getting homework until they're sort of 11 or 12. oh i don't think they should ever get it homework for the yeah. us as parents to getting them to finish it rather than really it being about the children extending their learning. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a tough one though. I, and I always try to sort of say that I'm quite relaxed and I think I am quite relaxed as a parent, but then when the 11 plus came around for my son, <laughs> I soon saw that I was starting <laughs> to get sucked in by what everybody else was saying. You know, suddenly I had not been worried about it for ages where I felt like everybody else was. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I haven't been worried about it. And then it was that, what if he doesn't get into schools? Because I think the process of those things, you try not to get sucked in, but along the way, I mean, how do we stop ourselves from doing that? I think it's really hard because it's a system that's broken. That's the unfortunate thing is that you've just got to manage it within your family. In an ideal way, we would just have to would level the playing field much more and, and reduce this level of over tutoring to get them into a school yeah. that isn't the right school. For me, it's about take a step back and look at the whole picture. A child who is of a certain type in the wrong school will end up doing academically far worse. You're much better. Parents often get caught into this, oh, but that school's really pastorally good, but not, not, not academically strong. That's really academically strong. I would say you're, if you've got a sensitive child, put them in a pastorally good, good school and they will outperform being over-tutored to go into an academically strong school because it doesn't sit with them. Some children, my eldest, from a very, very young child, he always liked the teachers who were super strict, the ones that all the other parents would complain about that said that they were super insensitive. <laughs> because he was always, if my work is rubbish, just tell me, don't sugarcoat it, just tell me I need to work harder. Whereas his sister needed lots of stroking. So he suited a grammar school because that's how he wanted to learn. She absolutely did not at all. So she went to a local comprehensive and is the happiest person because the, uh, the grammar school wouldn't have suited her at all. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've said this before, but I, I did a parenting course for my son. He's just gone into secondary school uh, last September. And they have an amazing child psychologist who runs parenting courses for preteens. So I was a little bit early. Most of the people on that course already had uh, teenage children. But one of the things that really struck me was that she was talking about the way that the whole qualification and um, getting this grade and getting into this school and that school and going to this university and you must go to whatever place and, and then you must go on and get a job. And she said, it's, it's, it's parent driven. It's what people 
predominantly in the UK want for their children and it's very old-fashioned and another interesting interesting thing she said was that a lot of the people who work with her just by default are dyslexic because they are strong organizers they're very good with people and they know they're very good problem solvers because that's the way they've managed themselves throughout the education system so this parent put her hand up and she said so why are we all why are we all pushing our kids to do all these things and she said because that's what you've shown that you want that's how you measure your child's value and and worth by how well they do in school and everyone was going oh my god you know it's it's my it's my own fault we're making our own kids unhappy and she said when your kids get out into the world so much is based on their own happiness because skills can be learned on the job they just want happy people with a willingness to learn who can relate and show empathy and I just thought that is so interesting that it's so much more about who you are than what you are and um, I just thought it's a shame it's surely time for a shake-up in the way that we we as parents push 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 for grades and all these kind of esteemed establishments for our children to be educated and well it often happens is that you get these um I remember, I don't know if you ever used to watch uh, Tanya Byron when she used to do the House of Tiny Tearaways. So she's a clinical psychologist and she was interviewed on Desert Island Disc. And I remember her saying that her clinic was full of 20 somethings who went to the right prep school, who then went to the right senior school, who then went to the right university, did the right degree. And the wheels have fallen off because actually they're not prepared for the actual reality of the real of real life and setbacks because they've they've kind of ticked every box they've hit every bar that they've been asked to and then actually can't cope and it's often the dyslexics the dyspraxics that are most adaptable because they've had to be that things don't happen in the way that they should or things don't come to them easily they've had to work at them and often it's these ideas these children when they face adversity which is what I often say to parents, if you've got a child who's anxious and you're giving them the tools and strategies when they're younger, you're actually setting them up for life because we'll all experience a period of challenge and of difficulties. So much better for that to be happening when they're still living with you and you're there to support them because we know that one of the other triggers in terms of anxiety is transitions. So when children transition from their primary schools to secondary schools, Right. That will often be a trigger. And then when they transition, the bigger transition is when they go from home to go to university. And so actually, when they've experienced setbacks, whatever that is, be it they've got an additional learning need that they need support with, then we set them up. Wow. I've been um, following, and I don't know if you guys follow, but I'm on Instagram and there's um, an account called Humans of New York. It's yeah. HR. They have um, stories on there, which I find fascinating because they're literally, it's following, it's photography of um, people and then the text underneath follows their stories. So um, many of them are sort of fourth, third or fourth generation, now New Yorkers, but they've, they're immigrant families, they're, their grandparents or great-grandparents have brought them, you know, to the land of opportunity for uh, what they think would be a better life. But they're, um, they're often speaking about parents or grandparents who've been through, you know, really awful stuff, but that have then brought their children with the hope that their, their lives will flourish. Um, and it, and it, they're, they're heartbreaking. Some of them are, some of them are funny. Some of them are really, really sad. Some of them are really moving. And some of them are just 
you they just make you feel like god i could i should do better some people do the most amazing things for other people it's really inspiring but one thing that really resonates with me i guess is that in a lot of those situations the most broken people are bringing their children into an environment where they want them to go out and do really really well but for them to be able to to be in such a broken place but to be so wishful for these children it kind of i guess to bring it to a, a parallel for me a few years ago i was really struggling with anxiety and i was terrified that i was going to I was thinking of all the things I don't do very well. So I struggle in social situations. I'm terrible at having people to my house. If I get invited to a party, I'll say yes. And then I, I, I just, I'll have a, a panic attack. I won't want to go. Um, and I never wanted my kids to see that side of me because I wanted them to grow up and be the opposite. Like these people in these stories on Humans of New York. And I think, how do you manage that when you feel a certain way, but you want your kids to be completely the opposite? what's it, it it's such a it's such a difficult dynamic when you're feeling one way but you want to create a human being who has all this opportunity and the willingness genuinely to go out and embrace the world but i think part of that is being open about this is these are my struggles and this is this is what i'm struggling with and i i want it to, i want that to help and inform you so that things are different for you i think that's where we often shy away from not opening up and it's opening up as much as it's appropriate given the child and given how you know developmentally where are they at what can they manage because i think that that's important i think when we my daughter said this to me which I, was quite profound so i like to i genuinely like to think that i have always said to my children i've never been that parent at the school gates who's been like oh i don't think they're getting enough homework or you know my daughter's on this reading level she's so clever just not absolutely not i was always the well, are they happy have they got lots of friends that's all i care about yeah and she said to me so it probably was about three years ago she said to me do you know what mummy i'm really worried about letting you down Oh. she said well you're just you're so amazing you've done all of these amazing things and i don't think i can ever live up to that and it, that's that that for me was just like oh my god i have spent i genuinely say to my children all the time i don't care how well you do in your gcse's i don't care how well you do your a levels i want you to be nice people and there will be something out there for you you don't have to go to university if you don't want to but for her she felt some sense of pressure and that you know probably because i'm an obnoxiously positive person but it's about <laughs> i then had i've had to make a real effort when I'm feeling vulnerable and wobbly, I have to show that to her. Yeah. Because actually, yeah. she's, she's got me as this completely together person. And I'm not at all. I have my wobbles and my moments. But for whatever reasons, I'm not showing that. So I do think we have to, even we want our children to have things that are different, particularly when we've got anxieties and worries. But I think we have to be honest and open about our struggles so that our children don't have this perception of perfection at all right yeah okay. because nothing's perfect that's the thing yeah um, and that's and i'm a bit similar to you actually in terms of i power on to the next project and i keep you know like i'm all the time on the go with something but i think i had a situation last week where i kept crying when i when i watched tv segments and i don't normally do it <laughs> i think it was that music thing at the weekend what was that you know when they did that youtube music yeah. yeah i just kept crying and i was like no no 
why are you, what, what's wrong with you? Why do you keep crying? And I don't know. I just feel so sad about everything. And they're like, you don't feel sad about anything normally. You know? I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't understand. You know, like, and I was literally having, and then something else came. Oh, God, that was it. Saturday, this is a bit embarrassing, but Saturday night TV. I think I was watching Britain's Got Talent or something. And the nurse sang. And I just bawled my eyes out because she was a nurse singing, you know, like, and again, I was like, what is wrong with me? But they, but luckily, now that you say this, they were sat with me at the time when I just was crying at the television, you know, whereas before they do sometimes just like go, you don't, you know, I know, you know, you, I don't see you cry that often. Um, but actually, you've just made me feel better because I think it's good, like you say, for them to see, to see different levels of emotion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, also, I think it's just so much more hard work when you're trying too hard to make it seem like you don't want them to mirror behaviours. I think that's the thing, isn't it? You think, I, I get paranoid if I start getting a bit anxious that I don't want them to mirror things. Because yeah. there's also that in the back of your head, like, you know, if they mirror me doing that, then they're going to do that. Because, you know, often or not, they say words that you say that you might not mean to say, but you say. <laughs> you know, when my son stopped calling me a moron, I realised that's because I called him one the other day. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's how easily it's picked up. It's those kind of things. And I feel like sometimes we've got to, you know, do we have to watch ourselves so carefully? You know, we're trying not to do these things, but we can't, can we? Because that's just really stressful. And it's about being authentic. It's that idea that when we're, when our children are younger, they kind of like idol worship us, that we're like, gods to them we're this amazing people and anything that we say is what they then tell their friends well my mummy said that you know it's actually as you get older they totally call you out on things so uh, as you can imagine with, with my children i'll be saying to my children you know oh, you're on your phones all the time so, uh, mum you're checking your work email again are you <laughs> yeah when they're younger they don't do it that way but when they get older they totally call you out on it and so actually, I think you have to be authentic. You have to be who you really are because they totally pick up when you're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's smart. And I think that, again, it goes about the thing where you say that um, we have to sort of accept rather than always judge ourselves. And I think the one thing I sort of find, and I, and I often get, I mean, I wasn't a parent in my mum's day because that was a long time ago, but I just don't remember her having to worry about what every other parent thought as well and that seems to come into play an awful lot now you know like when you think you've got a, I, I try it's a bit like not reading the news and I try not to listen to other parents all the time so that I can try and make my own judgment calls yeah. but sometimes when you because nowadays you've got you've, you've got the whatsapps you've got the emails you've got every other way of communicating haven't you and it's trying not to sucking other people's problems and then put that on your kid because that's what I think we do sometimes in this day and age there's nothing really going on in our house, but suddenly you listen to somebody else's house and they're going, well, has this happened? Have you done this? And you're like, no, no. And then you kind of like, should I be doing that? <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. And I'm the worst as well, because I never know what's going on at school. I have no balance in trying to figure out, you know, like I'm the one who's like, what day is it today? Do we need to be it? I don't know what's going on. What lesson? You know, I'm terrible and I'll put my hands up at that kind of thing but ultimately I kind of prefer being like that because I find like when I get dragged into what I thought was kind of okay then I come back and I'm not great to my kids sometimes I'm like, why haven't you done that and 
well, what do you mean you didn't know about this? You know, like, and then I'm like, I don't, I'm glad I want to stay out of it because I don't want to be like that. But how do you advise people to kind of just step back from that whole, you know, the WhatsApp parenting thing is a, it's a new thing, you know, and it's, it's difficult when you listen to it because it's a chance, which my mum never had, is to listen to exactly what everybody is doing in their own house. Yeah, and I think it's it's that it's just that constant reminder to yourself that they do their family and you do yours. It's just taking that step back and trying not to get absorbed in it and just knowing that you're focusing in on what's right for your family. And it's hard, it really is, particularly when it triggers something in us. And it's being able to also be mindful, which is one of the things that I love about writing a diary, mm. is being able to know, because what, what usually happens in those situations is it triggers something in us. It's yeah. a trigger of, am I not being, am I not doing enough? Am I not good enough? Is that triggering yeah. some of my own stuff that I'm then taking home? And actually it's got nothing to do with the children necessarily or, or my parenting, but it's just some lack or some not feeling I'm quite good enough in any way. So is that constantly reflecting and then just taking a step back, just pausing before you take what's come off that WhatsApp group chat and then instantly go into the, well, I've heard that we were all supposed to have done this and why have we not yeah. done it? That <laughs> does send you into a tiz though. And I try not to, I mean, the, the wonderful thing about WhatsApp is sometimes that there's so many messages that I miss 50 of them because by the time I come onto it, they've all cleared off the screen anyway. So then I truly don't know what anybody is talking about half the time. You know? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, what? when was that supposed to be in by? You know, like, oh God. But I feel that does add pressure to the children again with not trying not to. And I, and again, it's not about nobody's perfect, are they? But I think we've got so many things and obstacles there now that, come along and it just I don't know I find it you know we've got so much more than my my mum had and let's say go back to my mum then mm. now because I, I think the only mum my mum ever spoke to a lot of the time was the woman who lived next door to us yeah you know she, I don't know that she even spoke to that many mums at the school gate about no. anything about what we were doing you know yeah, now and it's often that I find with those WhatsApp groups is it's a small proportion that are very vocal and a lot that are quite silent so yeah. it's also remembering that it's a small group and that isn't representative of everybody. And I'm telling you, I'd love to do it one day, but I haven't done it. Because um, obviously mine are older, we didn't have the WhatsApp group. But there, there are so many mums that are just waiting for that one mum to say, this is all just a load of rubbish. Why are we fretting about this? Is it really that important? And then they'll say, yeah. <laughs> no, we're not saying nothing. <laughs> I often get tumbleweeded. <laughs> Yeah, cats are revel. <laughs> I just, I think, um, I, I have to try and silence them for my own mental health, actually, because I would say, without realising it, I'm probably more introverted than I realise. And even though I am quite chatty, I'm still quite an introvert. So mm. I find it worse being caught up in that thing. And I can tell, like, my children are quite introverted as well. Do, do, does that come from us, that behaviour as well? I'm not sure. Are you born uh, like that? I think the personality thing tends to come as part of who they are rather than what they get from us. And, and, and it, there's this false belief that introverts can't be sociable. The difference between an introvert and an extrovert is just simply how they recharge. An extrovert charges from people. They get their energy from people and introvert charges and gets their energy from sol more solitude. 
so it's not that you can't it's just how you rebalance it so um, that's so interesting yeah that's the only we all seem to assume that an introvert is going to be shy and quiet and doesn't like to be sociable that's not the case at all oh my gosh that's so interesting yeah because more people will realize now won't they that perhaps they are introverted yeah yeah, my brother lives in New York and he's super, super sociable, but he's always lived on his own. And his friends here come and see me sometimes and say, how is he? And they always go, don't you think it's weird how he lives on his own? But maybe he is an introvert. <laughs> he, and he'll go home and he'll just, he'll be home for weeks. He can work from home and then he'll choose to go out when he's ready. And I've never thought about it that way. So he may be going home and recharging and that's his yeah. personality type. How interesting. Because we've always assumed that the extrovert was the one that everybody, you know, the extrovert was the good one to have, the favourable one. But it isn't the case. It's just how you recharge. And then equally, we often assume that with confidence, I will say to children that we mistake confidence as being loud or bossy. Mm. That isn't confidence. Confidence is that inner belief in yourself and also that willingness to accept whether you do well at something or not, it doesn't matter. And actually, often, the loudest and the bossiest are the least confident. Right, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that with my nieces, actually, when they were growing up. One was extremely chatty and the other one wasn't, but you see the difference as they become adults. Yeah, that, and actually, it's interesting to see that, isn't it? When you see your children's school friends, you can tell amongst them who are the ones yeah. that you've already seen it in your kind of life cycle, haven't you? Yeah. Um, you um, talk about with children as well when they have internal chatter. And soon we are obviously going to be facing coming out of lockdown at some point, who knows when. Parents and children are obviously people are going to struggle with how they're going to be with, around people. And, you know, there's going to be rules around it as well. And that's going to be another level, isn't it, of how we are going to deal with kind of coming out of this because yeah. initially we're going to be coming out of it and we're not going to be able to touch anybody still um we're going to have to be you know we're all cleaning our hands and everything now but do you think that's another phase that's going to cause more anxiety and if that is what advice would you give to us for kind of dealing with that I think it will, I think it goes back to what we were talking about, you know, also this introvert and that extrovert. For some of our children, they get that connect, the connection with other people is really key for them. And so they're probably, I would imagine, the ones that are going to find it almost more difficult because we we enter into a bit of a middle ground where we're not being confined, where we know that this is, these are the four walls that we're, we are in to actually, we're in a semi normal situation but we're being asked to behave in a way that isn't typical mm -hmm. so i think that that potentially is going to will cause will cause some challenges and the kind of internal dialogue is about helping our children understand that we're talk, we're having conversations in our head all the time and that's normal on one side you've got what i call kind of the inner critic the ogre what a lot of the adult um books talk about monkey mind it's that kind of I can't do that if I do that people will laugh at me or they won't be my friend or they um they'll think I'm not clever enough um, and then on the other side you've got the voice of what I say is either their best friend their inner champion or the voice of their best self it's that other side that isn't kind of cheerleading them and going you're amazing it's the bit that's saying I know this is hard 
but you've been in similar situations and you've managed to do it. I know this is difficult, but we've got this. You know you've got support if you need it. It's that kind of thing. And what tends to happen when our children get anxious is they get caught in that inner critic loop of conversation. They find it difficult to kind of access the, the other side, that other voice um, of reason. And so the, the advice when we begin to come out of lockdown and then we're getting some exposure again is about helping them understand those conversations and whilst it will be tricky for them to switch out of the critic and into the cheerleader it's helping them come up with almost like little phrases that they can say to themselves you know when we do it as adults if we're doing something that we don't enjoy or we're worried about it's like okay i've just five more minutes and I'm nearly there or okay I'm just gonna hold my head up high I'm just gonna take a deep breath whatever it is that we need to say to ourselves to coach ourselves through is equally what we want to do with our children is how can we coach them through what do they need to be saying to themselves internally to help them in those situations and then just keep checking in and, and how, how did that one work do we need to change it the more general that those sort of I call them mantras the more general those are that can cover multiple situations the better because then they only have to remember one or two yeah no, that's good advice I think as well in terms of just children in general who are feeling quite anxious and well parents have been obviously dealing with the homeschooling and everything and I think it's parents who, not children, parents' anxiety of, um, again, sort of feeling a bit competitive indoors as well. I know we talk about, I was talking about it on the WhatsApp group and stuff, but I think some parents worry that they don't do enough with children, you know, like at the moment as well. They're trying, because we're intently, you know, we're, it's so intense, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. You know, like some, the days feel quite long, I think, sometimes, actually. You, know, you get to five o'clock and you're like, oh my God, it's only five o'clock. You know, what else can I do? I think in terms of just, I mean, I've been speaking to some friends who are just like, oh, you know, I, I worry. I don't have any time for anything else because I have to keep my child occupied all the time. How often should we be, you know, like, I mean, I'm asking you this because I, I don't know the answer. I just yeah. do what I do in my own houses. I'm there sometimes and then I might disappear off another time you know I don't know what what would you advise people who just put a lot of pressure on onto themselves to constantly entertain as well I think you need it's about that goes back to that kind of setting the expectations at this period of time you're being asked to help help support your children but you're not really you shouldn't be teaching your children so you're you know ultimately at the end of all of this lockdown you are their parent and that's the relationship you want to maintain so we need to stop feeling that we've got to become their teachers we need to create the space and the opportunity but we shouldn't be looking at entertaining our children all the time absolutely not and part of that depending on the age of the child will depend on if you've got younger children who've been set work by school then absolutely you might need to sit with them to get them started but we shouldn't be with them the whole time and we should be creating opportunities for our children to kind of use their imagination to play to be curious rather than us having to micromanage because a lot of us have got to juggle work and I think it's actually really important for our children to see that we also have priorities of our own and that we need to be working on those as well so whether depending on your child and their ages depends on whether you review things each day and have that you know in the, at the beginning the night before for the next day right this is what the day is going to look like this is what's happening in terms of the work that you've been set and where you need to be and how independent you need to be and the work that I'm doing and this is where we're going to come together 
it's about looking at that and being flexible but absolutely not we should not be micromanaging entertaining our children I think it would be my view is that would be more detrimental than it would be helpful aren't they meant to get bored so that they then do develop their it's like grandpa always says to my kids in my day all I had was a stick to play with and you sort of think well that's that's good because then he would have developed his own imagination I'm sure he had a great time with his stick but it's good for them to be bored because then they do develop that imagination and find a way around it absolutely because if you think if we think about it from an adult, I think sometimes if we're ever stuck when we're trying to think, work out what we ought to be doing, I always think is just think about what is it, what's the skill that you're trying to give your child now to help them when they're an adult. And if you think particularly when we're anxious and when we're stressed, one of our default things to do as an adult is to busy ourselves so that we don't have to deal with what's going on in our head. So we either, we do, we do what it is for us, whether that's over exercise, whether we drink too much, eat too much, binge watch something that's yeah but it's that it's almost that numbing self-distracting I don't want to deal with what's going on in my head and so often then when we go to sleep that's where it tends to come out all of the things yeah. that we're worrying about we then ruminate over everything what we could have said should have said would have done could have done should have done all of that children are no different so if we ram pack their day with things that occupy their them so much so that they're never in their own heads they're never actually experiencing that silence and that need to be imaginative as well then we set them up to have all of the stuff come out at night so it's so important we shouldn't be you know i always say even you know at, even once we're out of lockdown children should have at least 30 minutes of unstructured time and i'm saying that because obviously normally on a school day they're quite busy with after school clubs and other things right. they need to have that because they need to learn to know that it's okay to have nothing to do to mm. kick around and well, what should i do with myself i don't know and half yeah. an hour later they may not have done anything but that's okay rather than actually the default is i should be going from one thing to the next to the next to the next and if I, i'm not i need to fill it with something else mm. interesting I saw someone said, um, like, uh, making fun of people who really are, before all the schooling stuff, just baking, sewing, uh, tiling the roof. The kids are just doing everything constantly. And then they're like, we've grown butterflies and uh, now we're building a house and garden. <laughs> and um, someone was like, it's not, it's lockdown. It's not a productivity competition. <laughs> and I was like, God, my kids, I they just... I don't know where they are half the time. Um, but yeah. I've taught mine how to make beds. <laughs> yeah. What a brilliant skill. <laughs> and clean the bathroom. I just oh. think that's what that's what they should those are life skills. It's about it's contributing to the household. It's helping yeah. because everybody uses the house, everybody's part of that household. So why can't they make a contribution? by cleaning some bathrooms, making some beds, putting on some laundry, laying the table, packing the dishwasher. Yeah, and they're yeah, great. I might be doing on a slave labor type thing, but like, <laughs> I need some help, I'm sorry. Like, and uh, you know, boys are not that pleasant in the bathrooms. So he needs to clean up his own mess, quite frankly. But also then you go to university and you live with people and you really can see the difference between kids whose mums have done everything for them and kids who have, I mean, my husband went to um, boarding school and he can totally look after himself and always has been able to. 
but I, I remember living with people at uni who didn't they didn't know how to turn on the iron or microwave and stuff like that and I was just like what we used to do a lot we used to cook with my mom and she, she taught us to iron and all that kind of stuff she still says she's way better at it than any of us but she taught us all of that stuff and when you meet people who have no exposure to those kinds of I would call kind of basic skills it's shocking so you're definitely doing the right thing Kat you're not doing it for your own selfish reasons it, it's no. for the kids setting <laughs> them up for life <laughs> but the They're thing is they appreciate it though um I was doing mopping with my daughter yesterday she had three lines on the floor to do I did the next three <laughs> Because I said, I was getting really bored of it. I'm mopping every other day at the moment. And I was like, you keep running in with your muddy feet over a floor that I've spent about an hour cleaning. Yeah. So guess what? It's your turn today. And I'm going to come running in. That's <laughs> the only way they're going to appreciate it, right? One thing that I used to do with my children was that um, we would have a Friday night kitchen disco. So we would I put on the music really loudly and then for literally for the 45 minutes, we would then blitz the house. So oh we would God. choose the we would choose the tracks. So, so I, the children were nine and eleven at the time, like really, really loud. And then it was literally like go. And then everybody would scatter, <laughs> vacuum clean or whatever it was. But actually it was just that that's it, because actually if we can blitz it for 45 minutes. And you've made it fun. Yeah. That is so good. That is a good way of doing it, actually. Now, you're right. Life skills are the way to go in lockdown. I think that definitely it also helps them to, to be involved in what you're doing, doesn't it? And you're, you're making them part of everything as well. You're not trying to do everything. Like you said, Liberty, and I absolutely love my husband's best friend is, a, you know, really the nicest man ever in the whole world. You've met him, Liberty Rash. Yes. When I met him, he was 28 and he couldn't even cook a sausage, you know, so that's what we don't want our friends. <laughs> no offense. If you're you couldn't cook. I remember because he came over and we'd all been out drinking and I, he stayed in our spare room one night and I said to him, you know, like, okay, could you just watch the sausages? They're under the grill. I'm going to go and get the papers. And he was like, I, I don't know how to watch the sausages. <laughs> I just remember thinking, what are you talking about, you know? But um, I'm aware that we've kept you on here for such a long time because we could talk to you for hours. Oh, yeah. I could ask you another hundred questions. I'm going to have to ask you back. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, thank you, you so much, Mary Hen. You've been amazing. Oh, it's been my pleasure. It's been amazing. Thank you. Oh. And you've been so it's... inspirational with your, your journey as well. I love everything that you kind of come to and you know yeah. um and i'm so pleased with everything that you've taught us today because i've i've actually been absor absorbing loads of this yeah so where can people find you and um, so i they can find me on my website which is drmaryhan.com and then from there you'll have all the social media links and all the various bits from there thank you so much mary han oh, thank you both so much liberty and cat for having me thank you our oh, pleasure thank you. take care bye bye, bye. Thank you.